a Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Kilimanjaro and gene sequencing. In addition, we're joined by Dr. Aaron Santos, who will talk about how to estimate damn near everything. So stay tuned for all this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Somehow I'm perpetually 11 hours away from you. Why do you have to be on the other side of the Earth? Why can't you be on Mars or something? This side of the planet might be more interesting. Science still goes on, regardless of where you are. Yes, well, it especially goes on when you're adept at getting internet, as I'm sure you are. How did you know that? Well, you know, news reaches this side of the Earth very quickly, and we all hear that you are the master of internet access. There's a thing you can do with your iPhone called tethering. Of course, you know, for people with iPhones, they can access their browser, map, basic internet access using a cellular network. That's fine for most telephone companies, but they usually do not like it when you plug that right into your own PC to use as a modem. Essentially, yeah, you just get unlimited internet with this. There's a couple several websites out there that tell you how to do it. Just type in an internet tethering and you get a little file that you attach. Voila, it works. Wow, internet tethering. So I've been reading some news groups and it looks like as long as you're not running BitTorrent or extremely high bandwidth, then they're probably not going to care until like everyone's doing it. But it seems there's not that many people actually doing it at this point. So, <laughs> Well, so uh, keep it to yourself in, in case you're listening to this episode. <laughs> yes, please, please. I would like to have a connection going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing nobody listens to the show. So. I like being anonymous. <laughs> All right. Well, so what's going on in science besides internet tethering? Well, more bad news for climate change. Looks like the glaciers of Kilimanjaro may finally be near its end. They have been retreating for quite some time, I understand. Yeah, actually over the last 100 years or so, we've lost about 85% of it. And Mm. probably in another 10 or 20 years, it'll be completely gone. What will we do? We'll just have this barren mountain. It survived 12,000 years until we started screwing up the atmosphere. Damn humans. <laughs> yeah, we're overrated, huh? Come on, Obama, you can do it. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> so anyways, this was very interesting work carried about Lonnie Thompson, who's world-renowned climatologist. And there's two main phenomena involved with this glacier change. One is, of course, the average temperature of the planet getting a little bit hotter. But the other is that there's less clouds to reflect the um, sun. And as a result, the sublimation process is also much faster. Clouds actually help to reflect some of the heat and the light. When you lose that, then it just hits the glaciers directly. And then they just start melting. I was just talking to a scientist who goes to the North Pole every year. And in the last trip, he saw a bunch of polar bears swimming around because they could not find ice. Well, they need the exercise. <laughs> yeah, all that coke they drink. <laughs> <laughs> You know, very interesting research here about Lamy Thompson, and it's from our favorite journal, actually. You know, this journal covers so many amazing things in science. I don't know why there's not an annual parade dedicated to this journal. <laughs> the proceedings. Of the National. Academies. Of Sciences. PNAS.
Well, going from global climate change to the sequencing of the human genome. Oh, wow. How much is it now? 30 bucks? <laughs> it's getting there. Uh, it's down to $4,400. Oh, what a bargain. So what do you do? Do you send like a little blood sample to some remote lab in Guatemala? Guatemala. Is that where they're doing sequencing nowadays? That's what you would expect from a James Bond movie where they're creating some secret super bioweapon. Ah, right. The Guatemalans and their secret super weapon. We all need to be afraid. Mutant bananas coming out of there. <laughs> bananas are good. Except when they're deadly. <laughs> Apparently, there's a company, Complete Genomics, which is back in the Bay Area, in Mountain View. They've now reported that they have been able to sequence three human genomes for about $4,400 each, at least in terms of the cost of the reagents. Bargain, I guess. It is. Well, considering how much it, it used to cost or how much the first genome cost as far as uh, manpower and hours. But these researchers are using a very specific technique which allows them to do this very rapid screening. And is this similar to the technique that Crook Venter had? Yes. Well, these researchers developed a very fascinating sequencing technique which allows them to chop up huge fragments of DNA and they make these this called nanoballs. Okay. And it's this nanoball technology which then allows them to use conventional sequencing sequencing techniques of primers and extending it with fluorescent tags, a computer program stitches together all of the uh, little fragments of DNA that they wind up sequencing to reconstruct the entire genome. Okay, so what exactly do these balls do? Do they help to sequester certain sequences or...? Is that these nanoballs assemble themselves into this very ultra-dense array, which okay. basically winds up holding down the cost of reagents, and it speeds the analysis of the fluorescent signals that you get out of the uh, process. Interesting. Yeah. It's basically a, a technical improvement on the uh, sequencing method that has been used for a while, and just allows them to drive down the cost of reagents. Okay, so if you uh, scale this up a bit more, then we can bring the prices down another factor of 10 at some point, huh? Right, you'll go, be able to go to Walmart and get your Sanyo human genome sequencing kit and do it in a day. It's, uh, it's a very fascinating technology, but it does have a very high error rate, so they're going to have to prove that if they're going to get at ultra-fast and accurate sequencing methods. Wow, that's really innovation there. So it would seem. If you ever wanted your genome sequenced, now you know where to go. Complete genomics. Phew, not going to replicate my pet. All right, and this is a, a very fascinating study. It was published in a recent edition of Science. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Grox Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. Aaron Santos will join us to discuss how to estimate damn near anything. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, many of us are fairly adept at estimating our monthly food bill, or how much gas we use every week. But estimating the number of piano tuners in Chicago may seem to be beyond estimation. Well, how can we estimate items like this? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Aaron Santos. Dr. Santos is a researcher at the University of Michigan whose work focuses on how nanoscale systems self-assemble. Author of numerous professional articles on the subject, his new book, How Many Licks, or How to Estimate Damn Near Anything, explains the art and math of estimation for a general audience. Uh, Dr. Santos, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on the program, and I think this is really a very fascinating book. Why is it important to be able to uh, come up with good estimations? Well, it's, it's not so much that it's important. Uh, it's mostly that it's just a fun thing to do for everyday people. I mean, I imagine it's, it's very similar to doing like a Sudoku problem or, or things like that. But if you're actually a scientist, this is something that you do every day. I mean, every, every day I go into the lab and I think, I want to solve some particular problem, but I want to know how close am I going to be, and and estimating things gives you a good idea of of how to do that. And uh, how does one approach getting a good estimate? Well, the first thing you want to do is to start off with things that you know. So you mentioned the number of piano tuners in Chicago problem. Well, you don't want to just take a guess at that because you could be way off. I mean, most of us don't have any clue how many piano tuners are in a given area. But you do know roughly what percentage of your friends have pianos, and you know that maybe you know that they get tuned once every six months or so. And from that, you can kind of build up your knowledge base and just use regular straightforward multiplication and division to calculate an answer that that will give you roughly the order of magnitude of, of what the correct answer is going to be. I see. So it's sort of taking what you know and building from there. Exactly. Uh, in your book, you uh, you mentioned something called the Fermi method. Yes. So Enrique Fermi, for for those who don't know, is uh, was an Italian physicist. Interesting side note: he half of the particles in the universe are named after him. They're <laughs> they're called fermions. Um, but basically, he came up with this method where he challenged his students. He'd, he'd come into class and say, "Estimate the number of piano tuners in Chicago," and the students would just kind of give him a blank stare, and you know, then he'd go and show that you know using just very simple approximations, you could you could come up with a reasonable a reasonable estimate for what the answer to just about any question would be. Mm, and what what did his method involve? It's all it's all order of magnitude estimates. So mostly just starting with what you know. You want to just kind of build on things and then use things like unit cancellation to come up with the right answer. I, I see. And you also mentioned in your book establishing upper and lower bounds to your estimates. Yes. One of the problems that I do in the book, which I've gotten heckled for when I was giving a talk because I used it before, was how many people are having sex at this very instant. <laughs> and of course, when you're, whenever you're talking about a subject as taboo as, as sex, um, people are going to have pretty strong feelings about it. And this one woman in particular said that my numbers were way off and would just would not let it go. The, one of the things that you have to do is you have to say, well, well, maybe my number is not exactly right, but I know it's got to be smaller than this number. And I, I know it has to be much, much larger than this number. And if those two numbers aren't too far off, it gives you some bounds for where you know the final answer has to be between. You know, it can't be above this and it can't be below a certain amount. Uh, well, it is interesting that you bring up that question as it is uh, certainly a very fascinating question. How would one go about actually trying to estimate how many people are actually having sex at this particular moment? Oh, geez. You might get a lot of angry calls, but we'll, we'll see. Hopefully nobody, uh, nobody will heckle, heckle the, uh, the radio show. But the way I did it, and there's, there's more than, than one way to, to do any of these problems. There's, there's a lot of different estimates you can come up with. But usually if you're, if you're doing it the right way, you can, all, of, all the numbers you should come up with, no matter what path you take, should all be roughly within a factor of 10 or so. 
But to calculate the number of people having sex, uh, one thing you'd want to do, the, the one starting place you could go for is, well, how often do people have sex? Now, there's there's a lot of different people in the world. I mean, the you know obviously the Pope is not having as much sex as uh, a committed a 20 year old in a committed relationship. But um, if you if you average over all different different people, you'd expect that maybe roughly once every few weeks or so, pe- people are going to be having some sort of sexual intercourse. So you start off with that, and then you say, well, how long does that last? You know, and if we do our upper and lower bounds, well, it's not going to last several hours. And if it does, the Viagra ads will, t- will tell you to call your doctor. And hopefully, it lasts longer than a, a couple of seconds. So it's probably something in the in the range of you know tens of minutes. So I know once every few weeks, and it'll last for 10 minutes. So that'll tell me roughly what percentage of time people spend having sexual intercourse. And then from that, you can calculate well, the fraction of people that are having intercourse. And then you just multiply that by the world population, and that, that gives you roughly the number of people having sex at any given instant. Hmm. And what number did you come up with after all that? I think it was something on the order of 300,000, although I, I'm doing that from memory. I, I'd have to actually go through the math again to, to see if, I was, uh, if I'm remembering the right number. Okay, well, good for them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so extending that, you also have in your book, many of those people are actually having an orgasm. How would you go about Uh Yes, this is, this is actually something that was featured in the movie Amelie, where she's, she lays back and she wonders how many people are having an orgasm at any given instant, entertains herself this way, but found that the number she came up with, I think she said 15, but it was, it was way off than what I came up with. But you'd basically do it the same way. So if intercourse is going to last on the order of minutes, then an actual orgasm is something that should probably only last a, you know, several seconds. So it's the same basic procedure. You, know, you take the fraction of time that people are, are having orgasms and uh, multiply that by the world population, and that'll give you the, the fraction of people that are having orgasms at any second. Even better for them, I guess. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it's kind of an interesting book. You have a lot of uh, very fascinating examples. How did you uh, wind up coming up with uh, the sort of problems that you, you put in this book? It's, uh, it's a combination of a lot of them I just came up with. It's, it's just kind of stuff that I, I think every, everybody wonders about at some point. You know, some of it is stuff that other people come up with. Uh, so I went to see Spider-Man many years ago, and I was sitting with a friend of mine who said, how much does he have to eat to get all that web? Because the, the, the web just, you know, there's just pounds and pounds of web coming out of him. Um, so that was one of the problems that made it into the book. So it's, it's, it's a combination of stuff that I've come up with and stuff that other people have suggested to me. Do, do you have any particular favorites in the book? I like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man one. That's, that's probably my favorite. Cause just because I think it's, it's something that, that everybody knows about. And I think everybody's wondered at, at some point, you know, how long would it take to eat him? And uh, how long would it take to eat the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? <laughs> well, there's... Um, you know, if you take a craft marshmallow, there's about 25 calories in that, and you know that its dimensions are about one inch by one inch by one inch. And you know that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man's dimensions are about mm, a 10-story building by, you know, a half a block by another half a block. Uh, if you do your unit conversions and you get everything to cancel out, you can find that the number of calories, and I, I think at the end of the day, it, it turned out to be something like 80,000. Uh, it would take one person 80,000 years to eat them, and this is assuming that you're, you're using a 2,000-calorie-a-day diet, which is what the FDA recommends. Well, I don't think it would be the most healthy diet, I think. <laughs> See, actually, the one that I found fascinating related to the caloric intake was burgers or bombs being uh, more uh, lethal in terms of their caloric yes. damage. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, that's, um, that was another one of my favorites. I think my sister actually suggested that one. 
So one, one of the things I say in the book is that, you know, for, for numbers that aren't that interesting to calculate, you can look them up on the web. And I think, I think if I remember correctly, I looked up the number of energetic equivalent of a nuclear bomb, um, just because I didn't, I didn't think it was that interesting to calculate. But to calculate the number of calories that come out of burgers, well, if you look at the McDonald's sign, it says billions and billions served. And you can estimate that, you know, if, if roughly thing on the order of a billion people get served each year, and each person orders a hamburger, and each hamburger is 300 calories, then that's 300 calories times a billion. And if you, if you do, I forget what the, the numbers are again, but you do the math out and you can put that in terms of, all right, well, how many nuclear bombs is that equivalent to, considering calories and nuclear bombs are both, both have energy units associated with them. You just divide one into the other. Quite a few nuclear bombs in the end, right? <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I think it was the number of calories that McDonald's hands out each year is something like 60 nuclear bombs. Again, <laughs> these things are only to within order to within an order of magnitude, so it's it could go up or down a little bit, but it should be roughly that amount. Do you find it sort of entertaining? I used to play these kind of number games, sort of walking around. Yeah, I mean, I uh, a lot of times I, I'm taking the bus, or you know, and one of them would just pop into my head, and if I have you know pencil and paper, I'll just write it down and, and see if I can figure it out. It's fun. Occasionally, there's some that are just too hard to figure out, and those those are the ones that I always get really frustrated with because it's like I always want to I always want to know the answer to them. There was one that uh, a friend of mine suggested that I just could not. I still don't have a good answer for, but I'm 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 still working. I'm convinced that I'll get it. But it's if you take all of the fish out of the ocean, how much would it sink? The the problem with that one is I just I can't come up with a good number for how many fish there are. I mean you can you can roughly come up with a, a size for like an average fish I think, but coming up with just the number of fish in a population is really hard. It's something I don't have a lot of experience with, but uh, I'm I'm hoping I can find some some way of coming up with another route to that one. Hmm, interesting. Do uh, you have any recommendations for uh, people uh, how they can improve their own estimation or playing these games? Like anything else, it's just practice, practice, practice. If you do enough of them, you'll you'll kind of build what I call numerical landmarks in like your head, where you're just, you know, you'll start to remember things like there's 300 million people in the U.S. and you know there's about 6.7 billion people in in the world. I mean, and you you just kind of start to get a feel for how how big certain numbers are, and when you remember them, it's just a lot easier to to, to go through these calculations. I think. So it's really just a matter of, of practicing and, and getting more familiar with them. I see. Is it, is it probably good to just sort of have, like, uh, basic facts like that, like how many people are in the U.S. or how many people in a average-sized city? Yeah. I mean, so that's that's one of the – the populations are, are numbers that, that are very useful in, in these sorts of calculations. You know, so if you're, you're if you're calculating the number of piano tuners in Chicago, it's helpful to know how many people are in Chicago. Uh, so that's that's just one of the one of the things that's you you kind of build a an appreciation for is just the the general size of things. Uh, well, one more of my favorite questions that you had in the book was phrase of how many monkeys would it take to type the complete work of Shakespeare? But here you have how long would it take one monkey to type Shakespeare? Yes, that is. That, if I recall, is the longest, the largest number in the book. If you were to actually write it out, it would be something like a 5,000-page book. So probably best not to write out the whole number. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, when I was interviewing with trying to get a literary agent for this, there was one agent who insisted that I write out every number rather than putting it in scientific notation. And I, I had to politely explain to this person that I, I couldn't do that for practical reasons because it would make the book too long. <laughs> do you have any future projects in this vein in the works? I'm kind of toying around with the the idea of doing another, basically like a like the sequel to this to this book. There's been some talk about making it into like a trivia type game, but that's it's still very much in in just my mind at this point. 
Uh, well, I'm curious, do you have any uh, final words regarding the general practice of estimating? I think if it's something that you're going to be into, I think it's really fun, and I think everybody should be doing it. All right. Well, certainly hope everyone takes a look. Uh, the new book is called How Many Licks or How to Estimate Damn Near Anything. Dr. Santos, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great. Thank you so much. And you're just listening to Dr. Aaron Santos discussing how to estimate damn near anything. This is the Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes is the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. How much is that doggy in the window? The one with the waggly tail. How much is that doggy in the window? I do hope that doggie's for sale I must take a trip to California And leave my poor sweetheart alone If he has a dog, he won't be lonesome And the doggie will have a good home I don't want a bunny or a kitty I don't want a parrot that talks I don't want a bowl of little fishies He can't take a goldfish for a walk How much is that doggy in the window? How much is that dog in the window? I do hope that dog is for sale. All right, it's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic spot on or way off. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're spot on or way off, okay. and a little reason why. You ready to play the game? I think so. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. Person number one, spot on or way off, the quarterback, Brett Favre. Given the number of retirements he's had, I would have to say way off. <laughs> uh, all right, number two, spot on or way off, Steve Jobs. I'm going to go with spot on. He's a much richer man than I am. <laughs> Always a useful metric. <laughs> Uh, number three is the uh, astrophysicist Stephen Hawking. Again, spot on. To be fair, I'm not, I'm not completely familiar with his research. It's, it's not the type of physics that I do. But I know that he, he does a lot of, I mean, just through his books, I know he does a lot of outreach towards um, bringing the general public involved in physics, getting the general public involved in physics and cosmology. And I, for that reason, I'd have to say spot on. All right, very good. Number four, spot on or way off, Donald Trump. I'm going to go with way off. Because too, too much reality TV, I think. <laughs> okay. Overexposed. Overexposed. That's, that's the way to put it. <laughs> All right. Okay, and finally, number five, spot on or way off, it's the president of the United States, Barack Obama. 
Oh, geez, there's not a not a middle ground on this one, is there? <laughs> I am going to go with spot on. I think I think he's done a lot of good things, and hopefully people listen to him on uh, energy conservation and the environment, and and maybe we'll even get some healthcare for for people who don't have it. All right. Well, Dr. Santos, I want to thank you for sticking around, playing the game, and of course, talking about your book, which again is called How Many Licks or How to Estimate Damn Near Anything. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great. It was a pleasure to be here. And now coming all the way from Dagobah to answer the question of the week, it's our good friend Jedi Master Yoda. Yoda, how are you doing? Mm, refreshed and green I am. As well you should be. You're always looking very refreshed and green. Mm, like Mountain Dew you drink. Mm. Uh, is that what keeps you so young, Yoda? Mm, well, 953 years old you are. Look as good as me, will you? Mm. I-, I can only hope. I'm going to start drinking Mountain Dew right away. Mm, and resequence your nucleic acids you must. You know, I've been meaning to do that because I hear the cost is coming down, and uh, I hear part of the reagents are these nucleotides. What are they, Yoda? Hmm. Simple, but profound they are. Hmm. Three components you see. The nucleic acid, ribose sugar, and the phosphate. Hmm. Good food. Good food. Wow. Sweet the ribose sugar is. Hmm. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Yoda. Hmm. And may the force be with you. And also with you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Grok Science, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.